Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, everyone. Welcoming you to the Roto Experts Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined by Rich Rebar, who also just had an appearance on the tape cast that you guys will be hearing soon and uh, brought Rich on the show. And we are going to do a mock rookie first round draft where we're going to go through uh, a 12-team draft for standard 12-team PPR league, no super flex, nothing crazy. And uh, I'm going to give Rich the first pick because I'm a nice guy. <laughs> well, you just tried to bait me into taking Josh Jacobs. So you didn't have to, but I'm not going to um, just because, um, you know, Josh Jacobs just fits an objective bucket of player that I can't take that type of shot on where he has a zero in his range of outcomes where I, at least if I hit a single with this pick, at least, you know, feel a little better about it. Um, and we're doing this pre-draft. So Josh Jacobs is definitely probably going to be the RB one selected. He was the only guy invited to the, to the dra- actual NFL draft. But uh, I think that, that between me, for me, the two guys that I think are the safest picks in this class, which I think also objectively is not a, a great class for expecting ceiling range of outcomes for players. But uh, I, I would be between Nikhil Harry and A.J. Brown. Uh, so, I mean, I have Nikhil Harry just a, a, just a smidge higher. So, I mean, I'll go with him. Uh, top 10 high school prospect, produced at age 18, 19, and 20 uh, in, in D1. Uh, one of the most versatile players in the draft. At one point, he had a two-game sample where he caught nine different passes on a different route than his previous catch before from five different, you know, alignments. Uh, I just think that with the, that expanding wide receiver versatility and its importance in today's NFL game, uh, I think, like I said, he's an objective single who could be, you know, a double or triple. So what do you do with, like, and I think that is the consensus thought, but what do you do if Harry slips to, like, the third round? Like, does he just, does he fall out of this conversation entirely? Uh, yeah, probably. If he if we're saying he's, like, the wide receiver, after, like, the wide receiver five in round three, like, yeah, then then you start to change your tune. Um, I talked about on your podcast. When I look at his visitations, though, I don't get that sense. You know, he's visited with New England, New Orleans, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Seattle, and Buffalo. So, I mean, uh, I'm looking at, like, all those teams and saying, like, if they had him in, given to where most of those teams pick in the later first, and then maybe if they, say, a pick 60 or higher um, with one of those picks, I think that's about as low as he'll go. So with the 1.02, I am going to reluctantly take Josh Jacobs. This is all projection, but I I will say this. So if Josh Jacobs goes in the first round to the Raiders and then Daryl Henderson goes in the second round to, let's say, the Ravens or the Eagles, I I, I would take Daryl Henderson over him. If, if their draft equity is that close, I think Henderson is a legitimately better player, and I think his chances of being a better fantasy asset immediately are great enough that, like, 15 spots in draft equity, I would take Henderson at 102 instead of Jacobs. But, but Jacobs going at pick 18 or, or, or pick 24, I mean, like, th- that's a good rookie selection, even if it is very Leonard Fournette which it is. This is a super Leonard Fournetti situation. 
<laughs> Only you're not getting Leonard Fournette. That's the craziest part of it all. Yeah, Leonard Fournette was actually a good prospect. He just couldn't catch passes and was always hurt. Yeah, I mean, but like he was like a he like tested well and was had production. <laughs> I hate I hate that this is a thing that Josh Jacobs has become the chalk at this position because he's not a good prospect. He's not. Not an objectively good one. I mean, like I said, he has, like, that weird profile where his production is crazy, like his rate of turning and, you know, touches into touchdowns and first downs and his yards per target are weird. But then he just never got more use than Damian Harris, you know, a guy at his own school. For um, him so- to be a subjectively good prospect, you have to be like, well, Nick Saban's not very good at evaluating talent. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, Which is a weird position to take. All right, you have the, you have the 103. Yeah, so I said, I mean, you, you, I, I between Harry and A.J. Brown as my top wide receiver prospects. Um, so, I mean, I'll just easily take A.J. Brown, who outproduced a guy like D.K. Metcalf, who will go and, and hire draft capital. I, I think draft capital is still important, but I've, I've come a, around on the last few years of just not elevating guys over guys solely because of draft capital. I mean, we talk about the Bishop Sankeys, the John Rosses. Uh, the Philip Dorsett's guys that I don't think that should have been drafted that high, but then are. And then by a byproduct, when we get to dynasty drafts, you elevate those players because of the draft capital. I'm starting to get a little more staunch on this. Like this guy's probably not a good prospect or not an objectively good prospect. Don't elevate him all the way up that high. I would still like a, on your podcast. Um, I like the objective ceiling ability of Metcalf, but he just has a wider range of outcomes where AJ Brown fits that corollary of being able to play in the slot outside uh, you know, a 225-pound guy that runs a, you know, under a, a 4-5, play all positions, you know, just, again, feels like a safe single with upside to be a double or triple. It's the, uh, those two guys are kind of put in the same bucket. So I, I like that selection. Like, I think, I think those guys should go within, like, the first six picks. But I'm going to – I, of course, am not going to eat the chalk. And I'm going to – at 104 – I'm going to do a little bit of projection here in terms of how I think the NFL draft is going to go, and I'm going to take Hollywood Brown. So I think Hollywood Brown is – he could be in like that Philip Dorsett, John Ross bucket where it's like, okay, he has this one really elite skill. He's super fast. He can win down the field. But I also think there's like a very decent outcome path for him where he lands on a team that knows exactly how they want to use him. He gets a lot of those jet sweeps. He gets a lot of those push passes. And he's used down the field, so he gets, like, the safe PPR floor of getting a bunch of easy targets per game. And he gets that sick down-the-field equity. You know, he gets that shot twice a game. And I think that that, that makes him a super high-ceiling prospect to me. Yeah, and um, I actually we, – we did a pre-draft actual real draft for a real league we're in. And I took Marquise Brown at pick 14. So I definitely like you taking him at 104 there and wondering why didn't you offer me a trade to come up with that spot. And take Marquise Brown. So in but, so in that league, I just I don't think that anyone is valuing rookie picks the right way. So I just like I'm just like not trying to trade in that league right now. I'm waiting till we get in the season and people who think that they have good rosters in uh, the the Scott Barrett Invitational. Uh, I, I'm basically waiting for people to start losing games and realizing that they constructed their roster poorly to start doing trading because that will that will happen. Like after four games when teams are zero and four they're ready to start trading. What's interesting about this year, and Brian Malone's done studies on this too, is that this is historically the lowest, you know, that in startups where rookies are going. And, you know, that's not surprising given the ambiguity of this class. Um, but historically, rookies, no matter what, they, they typically, you know, appreciate and value, even when they don't have 
you know, typically strong rookie seasons. So, I mean, I'm looking at – I think it's a great year in startups to buy rookie picks because they're so much cheaper than years past. And we know inherently a lot of these guys are going to hold dynasty value for multiple seasons, if not appreciate in value for a lot of these guys. Um, but, uh, yeah, I definitely like you taking Marquise Brown at 104 there. The reason I took him over a couple guys that I was in that actual draft that I was looking at that made it have better objective scores than me was, like you said, that pre-draft draft capital. You know, one of two receivers invited to the actual NFL draft. I'm at pick 14. Uh, why not, you know, take a guy that's probably going to have that high capital and, you know, probably run into some targets um, and see where, see where he plays out. Yeah, which is like, I, I mean, that's really all you want. Like, I think with rookie picks, you really should – I I well, the way I go about things is I would much rather value the ceiling than the floor, I guess. And, you know, we're drafting these without having rosters in mind. So a lot sure. of it – a lot of it is contingent on the roster you have. But I, I generally feel that I would value ceilings over floors for prospects. And you should. Like I talked about in your podcast, it, you know, we should be emphasizing on what players do well – and how they win because that's how they're going to score points in the NFL. Uh, rarely do players just not become just become different players uh, in the NFL and start you know become a typically different player and uh, you know add all these things to their game that didn't exist you know in college. Yeah, guys, guys don't reinvent themselves in the four months in between the draft and the start of their first season. One oh one oh five is you now. Yeah, this is a tough spot because uh, you know the DK Metcalf draft capital is there and he'd be the chalky pick here. Um, and obviously I think that, you know, nah, I just, but I can't do it, man. I can't go it. I gotta, gotta give real analysis here. And uh, what I'd say, and I would take Hakeem Butler here at one Oh five. Uh, you know, we're talking about ceiling range of outcomes. We're talking about a guy that uh, had basically 40% of his teams receiving yardage or 40% of his team's touchdowns. Uh, we talked about the big slot role, versatility. He's a guy that moved inside and out. He led the entire nation in yards per outrun from the slot, you know, which you wouldn't think given his athletic or given his profile. You think he's just a strict boundary guy, but 5.1 yards per outrun from the slot, 24.9 yards per reception from the slot, and five of his nine touchdowns in the slot. Uh, I think he's a guy that, you know, if a team is smart and they watch the film on him and, and saw where he won, they're going to come in and put him in that type of role. And he's a guy that can add, you know, big – big splash plays immediately out of box in the NFL. Which is, I mean, that's exactly what he should be drafted for. And, and the, the thing that you're going to run into with him is that if, if big draft doesn't like him and yep. he gets, if big draft sends him down and, and, you know, he goes to Washington in the fourth round, you're, you're just, you're eating a bag of sad. That's like the only thing with him. Yeah. Like I said, um, I'm more like, entrenched not entrenched I don't want to ever be stubborn but uh not elevating guys just solely that score bad just based on draft capital they've done that over the past couple of years for a couple of guys and it hasn't worked out well right um so so 106 I am gonna be boring I'm just gonna yeah. take I'm gonna take DK Metcalf I, I don't know honestly I don't think he'll get this low in hardly any drafts I, I really I think it's very unlikely that no, he no falls way. this low and I actually think there's a scenario where he gets drafted to a team where he could be usable right away in the mm -hmm. in the first mock draft that I did I actually there's like a scenario where he goes to the Steelers which would be like a crazy or even the Colts both teams have a need a wide yeah. receiver and both teams could use him in a role that would make him valuable for fantasy right away 
Yeah, I mean, we could see the Chiefs take a first-round receiver, given the, what we know, you know, about Tyreek, not or what we don't know about the Tyreek Hill situation, and you know, Sammy Watkins's, you know, historical, you know, games missed. Uh, you know, we could see them take receiver, and if they take a guy like DK Metcalf, you know, this <laughs> wheels up. Then, um, like I talked about, uh, the the pros for Metcalf uh, still stand out strong for you. I mean, the two routes he won on the go. And the, and the hitch in the NFL are the, are the two routes that are, you know, some of the most successful in the NFL, you know, per Josh Schrimsmeyer's, you know, routing NFL success chart. Uh, so, I mean, he can, he can come out – he can be a limited player and still be a productive touchdown and yardage producer still. Still a big chance. Like, there's yeah. real bust – there's real bust potential with him, though. Yeah, there's no way around range, it. A wide range of outcomes. And yeah. a lot of guys in this class do. Like you said, it's not a precocious class. Yeah. All um, right. 107. At 107, I, I mean, I see our guy Jaws out there, but I can't take him just because, like, we talked about the draft capital. I actually think a guy like Butler will get taken ahead of Jaws. Uh, do, you, do you think so or no? It seems like Jaws is going to go late. It seems like our Sega Whiteside is going to be, like, a fourth-round pick. Because big, dra- big draft, like, he's not in these top 100 lists. He's not mm-hmm. mentioned. And, not even, and, like, even omitting him is not mentioned. Like, these people are just acting like he doesn't exist. Yeah, pretty much. So I'm going to turn back and we're going to take the an RB, the, another RB here, and I'll take a Darrell Henderson. Um, you know, I mean, just think when you talk about splash plays, a guy that can overcome kind of that, uh, you know, archetype of being kind of a purgatory back, being that 5'8", 208 pounds, but an explosive player, uh, can catch the ball in the backfield, you know, creates a lot of his own yardage, you know, in terms of, of missed tackles and then adding on yardage by his own explosiveness. Uh, I think if he's a guy that falls into the, the right spot and right system, uh, could be a guy that contributes, you know, year one. And he's a guy that also doesn't have to be a 250-touch guy to be productive. No, he could be good on 180. He could be very Tevin Coleman-ish, I think. That could be like a very real outcome for him, which I would be on board with. I'd be happy with that return. Uh, 108. Do you, do you start thinking about a, a quarterback here? I, I think this is like a reasonable range for Kyler. Uh, who yeah, we just... I, considered it, I also considered him there. So, I mean, it's, I'm definitely on board. So, you're talking about, you know, I, you, you have to throw the baseball thing out, I think, from this, from this stance because, one, we know you're going to get at least that first contract out of him. And, and then, two, we, we already get a pre-notion of the landing spot and where he's going. And how do you not feel good about Kyler Murray in an air raid, in an air raid offense? Like, how do you not feel good about it? Uh, so, I mean, you might, you could potentially get 15 years out of this pick of NFL production. And even you could get six years of straight up QB one production, yes. which is very valuable. Like it's, I, this is actually a, a class where I could see the quarterbacks getting pushed up because people are just like, do I really want to pick Travion Williams here? Do I really want to pick Arcega Whiteside, who is going to be the sixth wide receiver for the Eagles or whatever? Like, I, I think the quarterbacks could get pushed up a, a decent bit. So I'm taking Kyler 108. And I, I feel good about that there. I, I would think you should feel real good about it too. And if people are drafting, even in one quarterback leagues, I would definitely keep a pin in Kyler Murray. If you got one of those mid picks of these guys, because I mean, you're talking about the position in the game has only been growing to a more athletic stance. You know, last year was the most uh, rushing points that were accounted for by quarterbacks in NFL history for fantasy purposes, the most rushing yards. So, I mean, it's only trending in this direction. Uh, and if you, he's a guy that can thrive in today's NFL game, you're talking about getting, you know, a decade plus of production out of this, out of this, out of this pick, even though it's a traditional onesie position. 
but it's still like he he will still provide plus production. I think at that onesie position while healthy and while starting, because he'll add, and and just having that as like something that you get in dynasty for ten years is like an edge. Yeah, for yeah. sure. He's an edge player. Like if it was like Haskins, I would like be against it because you're not getting that type of yeah. Like there'll there'll be no difference between Haskins and Andy Dalton or whatever in terms of like QB one production. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, Kyler's that with that rushing equity. Uh, that's that's what I like there. Uh, right. So where are we at? We're at pick you're eight. at one. No, you're at one oh nine. So I just did one oh eight. Um. So here. I think we kind of, I think you kind of swayed me on the podcast uh, for fantasy purposes to flip Hawkinson and Fant. So I think I'll go Fant here. Um, we talked about he blocked just 41 times his last two years. He's probably going to be an inline, even though going after Hawkinson in the real draft, he'll probably have an inline to playing just more pure receiver and get more targets out of the box. And he kind of just looks more like a receiver. So I'm kind of, kind of swayed, uh, <coughs> excuse me, by your argument there. Whereas Hawkinson could go easily to like a team like the Jags and the Bills and be blocking early on in his career and just being a touchdown producer. Uh, so we'll go Fant one away. I, I I love I love that one. Fant Fant is gonna be I have like a I have like a strong belief that Fant is gonna end up being a league winner, sort of at some point, because I do think he does have like at some point 80 catches, 11 touchdowns, 950 yards. Like he just, I, I really think he has that upside. And I don't know if, I don't know if Fant or Hawkinson will end up being first round. Like was Mike Kosicki a first round rookie pick last year? No, second, right? Yeah. So, so if Mike Kosicki is not a first round draft pick, I don't know if Fawn and Hawkinson will be. And I think they'll probably, they'll kind of like split the vote. Like I think people will wait because they'll say, well, if I don't get Fant, I can get I'll Hawkinson. Or if I can't get Hawkinson, I'll get Fant. And so they'll just, they'll just hang back. Yeah, that's what I did in our league where uh, I was the tight end premium and I was kind of looking to grab one of those guys. I had the 10th pick in that one as well. I said our rookie picks were actually in the draft. And Fant went 109 and it was just like, all right, well, the choice to make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 109, 109 seems tough because at this well, that point, was 109. I'm sorry. That was 109, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So 110. So this is a range where it's like, yeah, I could take Hawkinson here. I could take Travion Williams here. I could take, you know, maybe Damian Harris gets drafted in the third round. Probably not, but maybe, or you, this is where you can start to take shots on wide receivers that you like. And just like kind of hope, because at this point, if you're to picking 110, your team's probably good. You probably don't have a starting spot that you're trying to like fill right away. So I'm just gonna take. I'm gonna take Jaws. I'm taking our Sega Whiteside at 110 because I I just believe. I just believe in that dude. I think I think yeah. that he's so good, and I think that if he does land a starting job, I think that that's gonna be like a really high value fantasy spot because like some team is not gonna Chris Conley him. If he's out there, he's gonna get targets. Like he's not, he's not gonna be out there as like the decoy, like space creator or whatever. Nice. Uh, so we're one eleven. So it gets one... it gets thin, bro. It, we are we are in thin territory. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm in the same boat as you. I just think that you want to attack your your highest objective prospects. You're, you know, in this stance of not knowing landing spots and pre-draft. So I think that uh, that would be Andy Isabella. Uh, he's, an, he's another guy too that doesn't have to pop right away if you're typically drafting at 111 you know if you've got a good team and you know typically don't have a spot you know that you have to you have to get something out of this guy 
Um, because the thing about Andy Isabella, and I think the, the worry is you just fall to the right system. But if he's going to he, – I don't think he's going to be drafted by a team that doesn't know how to use him. I guess we shouldn't say shouldn't. Or he shouldn't I mean, be. who who drafts Andy Isabella without who drafts Andy Isabella without an idea of like what position they want him to play? You know it what I'm saying? It is the NFL. It is the NFL. Yeah. Well, we did just prove that Brandon Pettigrew uh, on the take cast. We just looked at Brandon Pettigrew, who had nine touchdowns in college and was a first round draft pick. Yeah, and entered the league with no touchdowns. Yeah, no touchdowns scored his final year. Uh, so, but we, but you would think in today's NFL game that a coach would know what, how to use Andy Isabella, uh, not as a traditional you white you in the slot you Ben Affleck type guy. Uh, he's more of a you know that flanker Brandon Cooksey type of guy, John Brownie type of guy uh, that you can use vertically down the field. Uh, so, I mean, we'll just go Isabella there because he's objectively the next best wide receiver on my end, and the running backs are kind of a close to a gaggle of guesswork. Yeah. So I have the 112. So I'm going to I'm going to do my favorite guesswork here and I'm just going to go Justice Hill because I feel confident that no matter what team drafts him, sort of like Naheem Hines. Like Naheem Hines was a fourth round draft pick, but he stepped into a role right away. Mm-hmm. I'm like I'm like pretty sure Justice Hill will have a role right away and like a like a usable fantasy role. I don't know how to feel because you're, you're picking all the guys that I took much later in our draft, and I don't know whether to like my team or be terrified now. Well, I'm just taking guys I like because I'm not beholden to ADP right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like Justice Hill a lot, and we talked about it on the take cast, so uh, we won't go into it there. So to kick off the second round, we'll just roll Hawkinson as the easy roll into the chalk. You know, touchdown upside. He's a guy that outproduced Fant, you know, and – outproduced his, you know, opportunity share by such a great deal in terms of yardage and touchdowns, only having 15% of the targets at Iowa. Uh, and then the draft capital is probably going to be there as well for him. So, I mean, we'll just take him there. All right. I'll take, I'll take Miles Sanders then. Miles Sanders, like if you get Miles Sanders in the second round of your draft, that'll be, that's like a good selection. The the 2.2, that's like, you'll be, you'll be very happy with Miles Sanders there. Yeah, a guy that fits that three-down archetype player that you this draft cast doesn't have a lot of, was a five-star recruit, was just stuck behind the generational talent. The generational talent. You can't, you can't avoid him no matter where you go. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, yeah, like Miles Sanders a lot uh, for his, like, three-down potential. Not many of those guys in this class. Uh, we'll keep it going here. And where are we at on the – 203. 203. We're probably at a spot here where I still think the receivers are better. We'll probably just go, uh, you know, Paris Campbell, I guess. Yeah. Campbell yeah. Campbell is good there. We'll go Campbell here because you're getting him probably as your second rookie pick too or you get, get kind of that boom-bust flavor if you do, a team doesn't, you know, can't successfully use him or have to wait a year to figure out like they did. Like, listen, the, the back half last year, Curtis Samuel was a, was a good player and it was a good fantasy asset, a solid fantasy asset. He wasn't a guy winning you weeks, but it was a real solid fantasy asset. So even if you have to have to wait, you know, kind of on him, but uh, he's a guy that could maybe slip into the back of the first round uh, to a team like Kansas City or something like that that, that could really use him uh, in creative ways. Um, but then he's also a guy that we just don't know the untapped upside because the knocks on him are things that may not really mean anything. So two, four. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Debo Samuel. Because I think that's a dude. That's a dude who didn't profile super great, but his market share stuff is good. And NFL teams, NFL teams like him. He's going to be drafted like sort of high, and he will be given opportunities based off of being drafted highly. 
And he fits a discounted version of the two guys I talked about in Harry and Brown. Is yeah. he's a guy that's going to play multiple positions in the NFL. Yeah, he was all over the place in South Carolina. And he's a, and he's a bigger guy, um, so I like that as well. And he checked athletically. Like, he was pretty good. Like, he didn't, like, blow anything away, but across the board, explosion, you know, adjusted speed, it was all good. It was all good. There weren't knocks on it. There weren't knocks in that regard. Big hands, going to move around the field. I like him a lot, too. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very in. I'm very in on Debo Samuel at 204. Yeah, we didn't talk about him uh, on the – on the the take cast so i mean uh he's a he's a guy that's pretty interesting and it seems like uh that he seems to be like kind of universally liked too by kind of everyone yeah yeah he's a good prospect all right so we we're getting in the weeds uh, now the 205 205 uh yeah i mean you're talking about just taking shots on guys yeah you're taking you're taking shots now yeah, maybe, you know, swinging from the heels a bit. You already took a pick in the middle of the first round. You're coming back, trying to swing. Oh, man. I don't even know if there's that type of guy. I think that I guess the type of guy would be in this spot would be Miles Boykin. Like, that, he's like this is yeah. a good spot for him to make a play on the upside, but also inherently knowing that you're taking a guy that never had 1,000 yards in college, doesn't really blow anything away in terms of, like, a breakout age or producing at a late age. Uh, but then, you know, comes in and, and just destroys the combine, is an athletic specimen, has the big enough size to where if it all came together or what, but you probably, you know, also know that you'd be getting, you know, Devontae Parker here. Right. So 206, I'm going to take, this is a very popular 206, I bet, Rodney Anderson. He's going to go on day three of the draft, and he had one season of production in Oklahoma. He hurt his neck and he tore his ACL. There, there are red flags on red flags on red flags with him, but the dude is smooth. The dude ran very smooth, and you know, I, I gotta be in Oklahoma. I gotta be a, I gotta be a fanboy. But, but I mean, people swear by Rodney Harrison. The, the, the scouts they swear by Rodney Anderson. They say the dude's good. So two oh six. That's who I'm taking. I don't have good objective reasoning for it. Yeah, I mean, he's just one of those guys. I think that if you're taking shots at backs in this class as you move on. And some of the guys that I think that either might be drafted higher or um, people might rank higher are just – they fit buckets that probably Rodney Anderson's ceiling range outcomes they, that doesn't cover. Right. He has a three down. But, that, like, you're taking a shot on a guy that could be a zero but could also be, you know, excel and leapfrog a depth chart, whereas a guy like Travion Williams uh, or a, a Booby Williams, like, those guys aren't going to jump on the depth chart of them. Exactly, yeah. So I think I'll just roll back with another running back pick and just here, just objectively, just this is because he'll never go this low in your draft, uh, but is a guy that's just kind of a, a tweener prospect too, I think for me, probably for you too, because he's gotten here, uh, it's David Montgomery. Oh, um, yeah. I, that, I mean, whew, that dude, <coughs> he's like my RB too, but I don't even believe in him. He got caught behind at Iowa State by everybody. He's slow. Yeah, he's, he's slow. It, it came out and it proved out he ran slow. Also, like everyone talks about the, you know, his missed tackles, you know, created in college. It's like, yeah, because he couldn't get away from anyone. <laughs> he had to be good at breaking tackles because he couldn't get away and run away from anyone. Yeah, he, uh, he like he, he shed people off, I guess, a couple times. But I mean, the dude legitimately is not fast. But he is a guy that also caught 70 passes in his college career. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, he's probably going to some draft capital. Uh I think this would be – you would love to get him here where it's kind of some safety built in because I, I, like you, don't believe that he's much of a ceiling back. Uh, but he's probably going to be drafted. Like he's going to go before the third round, right? You think? Third round plus? He, he might even be the second running back taken. 
honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, you just, you just do it here. Uh, we, we're kind of mixing in at least like some of our objective takes here. I had some realism to this, but he's going to go higher. Yeah. Uh, I'll take at the two oh. this is the 207, 208. I will take Travion Williams, who had an outrageous final season at Texas A&M. Super productive, was good at the combine. Travion, Travion is a good prospect. I, I think he, he should probably deserves to go higher than this, but won't because I don't think scouts like him that much. Yeah, I think that that's right. Um, uh, yeah, because he was another one of those guys, too, that gets dinged for things that probably don't matter. Like, the you know, he had crummy agility, but his versatility uh, is more important in today's game. So we'll keep this train moving. I'm going to jump the gun on you uh, at this point and take Jay Sternburner. Sternburner. Oh, what a bummer. Yeah, I mean, like we talked about, he's our tight end threes. Um, let's take care to talk about it. I mean, he's a guy that can come in and just play receiver if you want. You know, splash plays, over 17 yards per catch, fifth in the nation in target rate, highest dominant rating for all tight ends last year. Uh, he can just come in and catch passes for you uh, right away. Which is like, that's what you want. That's If, if you're drafting a tight end, you're not trying to draft the next Brandon Pettigrew who's going to block in the NFL for 10 years. You want to have some upside. Uh, we didn't talk about this guy at the 2.10. We didn't talk about him on the take cast or anywhere else, but Emmanuel Hall from Mizzou, he might, he might average 20 yards per reception for his career. He was like one of the best deep threats mm-hmm. anywhere in college, played with Drew Locke, and I honestly think boosted Drew Locke's status up a little bit because he he's like seems like a, a guy who has a clear nfl skill set right away yeah and if you look at Locke, i think it's gonna be funny we can really have uh look back in hindsight i think it's really easy not even to see it now and then in hindsight have it confirmed uh that just drew Locke's playmakers around him were so much better than he was and it made him better kind of like hacking maybe not hackenberg-esque but in the same you know kind of corollary because jamon moore was drafted last year by the nfl Emmanuel Hall was is going to be drafted probably relatively high, I would think, just because we know the things he does well. The NFL has shown that they value, you know, be fast, get downfield, have, like, uber explosion ability. They value that. Like, teams want to have that guy, and he'll probably get drafted higher than some people think that may discredit his game a little bit. Right. Uh, and then also, Drew Locke had that, that bonkers tight end that's probably going to be the tight end one next year's class. Um, I can't say his name. You probably know from DFS. Uh, it's a long name. No, I don't. I don't even know. Because you don't have to play tight ends on DraftKings. Oh, yeah. He was crazy. I think he's going to be – he's, like, basically the consensus tight end one for next year. Um, let me see if I take a shot at it uh, and see if I can pronounce it. Albert Okwebunam. Yeah, like, it's, he was awesome, though. He's good. Like, he's a yeah. good – he's another obje- – so it's like we could look back and say, like, man, Drew Locke played with all these guys. They made Drew Locke a lot better. Yeah, uh, like, like I, I, I did this article on Roto Experts looking at Will Greer and Sills and Jennings. I actually came away with the idea that all three of them are pretty good. Like, I don't think one of them rose the ship, but I think maybe Drew Locke – I think maybe Drew Locke got rose by the ship around him. Yeah, I think I would agree with that, too, because objectively he doesn't – you know, pop for me. And I don't know, I don't know anything about scouting quarterbacks. He just doesn't pop objectively. All right. Your last pick. Uh, did we take Damian Harris? No, no. Damian All Harris right. still on the board. Then, then easily just take Damian Harris. I probably should take him over Montgomery to be honest. Uh, just cause he 
objectively looks like more of an athlete and has more, uh, you know, more of a higher ceiling range of outcomes than probably the mundane uh, David Montgomery just running into touches, you know, outcome. All right. Well, assuming he gets drafted, I'm taking Ashton Doolin here. He won't actually go in the second round in any draft unless you're in one with me. But I guess if you're picking here, you have the wrap. So it doesn't really matter. But if Ashton Doolin gets drafted, that dude has a sky high ceiling. So I'm taking Ashton Doolin here. Awesome. See, we mixed in a good amount of old school wonderkin drafting in there. Yeah, there we go. We got we got the bad takes. We got the good takes. And, uh, you know, we, we really just overall, we threw it back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. I love it. You know, uh, I, I love doing these types of shows. It really is. It really feels nostalgic to me.